It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. One thing that really frustrates me when it's being done by private media outlets, when it's being done by the government, when it's being done by big tech companies, whether it's being done by uh, politicians or schools, one of the things that really uh, frustrates me is censorship. I am all for debating everyone's ideas about everything, getting those ideas out there into the public square. And if they're a little wacky, maybe you have someone else explain why those ideas might be a little wacky. Unfortunately, we have seen in this country a rise of a private sector censorship, which has determined certain people's views. Forget about being wrong, not even worthy of being heard and it's pretty frustrating my guest is somebody that has been fighting back against censorship in all its forms for a long time she's gone from being probably the most famous feminist icon in the country to being one of the most controversial academics in the whole country i am very very pleased uh, to welcome dr naomi wolf the author of the new book the bodies of others the New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and the War Against the Human. In addition to her many other claims to fame, she's also the co-founder and CEO of DailyClout.io, which is a, a, a successful civic tech company. Dr. Wolf, it's great to have you on the radio. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Wolf, for people that don't know your history, I don't know where to begin. You have been educated at some of the finest institutions in the world. You have written many best-selling books on a wide variety of subjects. You've always been outspoken. You've already always been an activist. One of the ways that you first came on my radar screen is when you were an advisor to President Clinton back in his 1996 re-election. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. That's where they first sort of you became a household name in a lot of people's mind. You apparently met with President Clinton quite often during that 1996 reelection campaign. Most of us will never get to work that closely with a sitting president. I'm wondering if you could share what that experience was like. What was Bill Clinton like in private to deal with on a personal level? Well, I should um, and please call me Naomi. I should, I guess, gently uh, correct the record. I actually um, was an advisor to his campaign, not to him personally. So I really only met him once or twice and never, you know, never in private. Um, And so uh, it was uh, Vice President Gore with whom I had a a working relationship that included um, a lot of direct consultation. You, well, I remember you were the one in that 2000 campaign that they pinned the whole alpha male uh, description on. Of were was that actually your your suggestion of how Al Gore should model himself as a as an alpha male, or was that sort of just a media creation? 
Well, yeah, it's a complete distortion. Um, the you know, as was the you know Earth Tones meme. Also, uh, basically, there was a memo that I wrote to him that said um, people perceive you as the vice president because he was the vice president. So he needs to do things in his campaign that position him and habituate people to seeing him as um, the leader instead of this supporting role of the vice president. That's literally the memo. Hardly, you know, it's hardly controversial at all. And it got distorted um, in the way that you describe. The um, thing that I guess you're most talked about and sometimes praised, sometimes criticized these days for has been your views on the government's handling of COVID and the lockdowns and everything related to uh, certain aspects of government overreach when it comes to uh, when it comes to COVID. Let's talk about the lockdowns first, because I think wherever people fall, they recognize how damaging the lockdowns were to the entire country, economically, culturally, spiritually, uh, in terms of drug use, but especially to children. Based on your research and what you've seen, how damaging were the COVID lockdowns to the country? Well, that's a great question. I guess the first thing I would say is um, the, the question of how damaging they were to me is very important, but it's secondary to the fact that they were illegal and that we have a constitution, and the constitution has a First Amendment that guarantees freedom of assembly. So um, that's the most important thing, because when your your government restricts your movement, you're already living in a police state. A coup has already taken place. So that's the thing I'd really like people to, to process. Um, I wrote a book in 2012 called The End of America, uh, and I looked at how um, tyrants, whether on the left or on the right, seek to close open societies and crush democracies. And they always do the same, take the t- same 10 steps. So step 10 is martial law or emergency law. And so right away, by March of 2020, we went right to step 10. Um, and that is a closed society. And I also looked back in history, and I wrote about this in my book about the lockdowns um, called The Bodies of Others. And the only like Western free societies have never restricted the movement of citizens. Uh, it's, it's places like the Warsaw Ghetto in the West that have restricted the movements of citizens. North Korea restricts citizens' movements. Um, when citizens in the United States have had their movements restricted, it's been by Jim Crow laws or Native Americans on a reservation. In other words, um, or, you know, Jews in Vichy France had their movements restricted. People have their movements restricted prior to the theft of all their assets or prior to being murdered, really, historically. So it's not, you know, it's not something that has ever been part of um, the Western view of what a, a free democracy does to citizens. And it's also unlawful. So, you know, that's number one. And number two, of course, you know, when you lock people in their homes, as China does with its citizens, um, I mean, we're going to look back on this and our heads will explode, you know, that we, we went along with this. Um, of course, you know, small businesses are going to die. Target is allowed to stay open. Big box stores stay open. They crush their competition. Millions are transferred, billions from the middle classes and working classes to a handful of giant corporations. Um, of course, if you lock children in at home and don't let them have play dates or go to school, they'll be 
suicidal and depressed and anxious. I know two families who have young adults or teenagers who have agoraphobia so bad they can't go out anymore um, because the message to our, our youth was the world will kill you or you'll kill grandma if you go outside or if you have a play date. Um, of course, if you um, you know close churches and synagogues, elderly people will be depressed and die alone. You know, of course, if you don't let loved ones visit their elders in hospitals, um, you know, you'll have massive death rates in hospitals because social contact boosts people's immunities and keeps them alive. And, you know, the, not to mention the, the physical harm. Like, I'm not a medical doctor, but I have, as you mentioned, had a very privileged education. And I'm an English major, and I read 400 years of um, novels and memoirs. Well, we've had waves of infectious diseases in Britain and America for the last 400 years, much more serious than this, from cholera and typhus and smallpox to yellow fever in Philadelphia in the 18th century to you know tuberculosis, on and on and on. And never, ever, ever, like since the Crimean War, we've known that if there's an infectious disease and you don't have a cure for it, you know, you open the windows, you get people outside, you give them, you know, vitamin D, you give them good nutrition. You don't pack people into uh, multi-generational households and, you know, put crime scene tape on playgrounds and, and hiking trails. Um, so we were told to do things that are the opposite of, of what people have understood for 150 years that you need to do to keep populations healthy when there's an infectious disease around without a cure. The um, so much what you say there, I I find so interesting, and I want to uh, follow up on as much of it as as we can. One of the things that's been reported is that uh, if Ron DeSantis moves forward with his presidential campaign, as appears likely, that he's going to be making the lockdowns one of the key points of difference between he and President Trump, and not only Trump allowing these lockdowns to go forward, but uh, Trump. Having folks like uh, Anthony Fauci remain in the positions that they were in, you think that's a fair criticism from uh, DeSantis towards Trump? I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand what the criticism was. It, the the Trump allowing the lockdowns in 2020 oh. and maintaining Dr. Fauci's position. Well, allowing the lockdowns. I mean, what as I recall, and you know, I didn't vote for President Trump. In retrospect. <laughs> the people I voted for are catastrophic traitors. But um, as I recall, what President Trump said was, again, accurate in terms of our system of government. He said it's up to the states. And some states locked down and other states like Dakota did, you know, brief, uh, not at all. And states like Florida did briefly and then they stopped. So m my memory is that P President Trump did not have a federal lockdown. Um are we remembering differently? Well, uh, no. I mean, well, so Trump uh, came up with this plan to allow the states to reopen at their own pace. Right. Uh, so and I think that, uh, uh, you know, some people in the more DeSantis wing of the Republican Party these days, they uh, think Trump should have been more uh, bullish, I guess, in reopening the country more aggressively. But uh, I figured I would ask you because you've been following this uh, so closely. Uh, right. Let me ask you about this. I know it was reported and you can straighten me out and I know you will if any of this is inaccurate. 
it was reported that you were suspended from Twitter in June of 2021 for sharing uh, vaccine disinformation. And and that that phrase uh, disinformation, I always find so interesting because it's so subjective in terms of who gets to make the judgment about what information actually is. Would you characterize yourself as uh, anti-vaccine? Well, respectfully, that's the wrong question. I think you should ask me what I tweeted, um, and I will tell you what I tweeted. What I tweeted that got me suspended from Twitter in 2021 was that women were reporting their own menstrual dysregulation subsequent to receiving mRNA injections, and that other women who were in close quarters with them were also experiencing menstrual problems. That's what I tweeted. Um, It turns out, subsequent to a lawsuit by attorneys general of Louisiana and Missouri, that the people who colluded to deplatform were Twitter, but also the White House, the CDC, and the Department of Homeland Security. And they took Mm -hmm. this one tweet of mine and... uh, and not only deplatformed me, but coordinated a, a global smear campaign against me. Well, that is one of the most important things I've ever written in my life. It's 100% accurate. Um, and if that conversation had not been silenced, millions of women would not now be suffering from um, the loss of their fertility. Because indeed, two years later, there's a, a 13 to 20% drop in live births. There are a million missing babies in Europe. Countries like Scotland have had double the usual rates pre-2021 of um, child uh, mortality and um, uh, spontaneous abortion and miscarriage. And now we know uh, that that tweet was prescient as well as being accurate because I now have 3,500 doctors and scientists working under me and my colleague Amy Kelly um, in a War Room Daily Cloud Pfizer Documents Analysis Project in which these experts are going through the 55,000 documents released under court order by Pfizer and the FDA, well, by the FDA that are Pfizer's internal documents. And what we see there is a 360-degree attack, especially on female sexual and reproductive health. And we see why women are having menstrual problems, because the lipid nanoparticles in the injection um, coalesce and accumulate in the ovaries, and they cross the placenta, and they enter the breast milk, and they're poisoning babies. And the Pfizer documents are replete with scores of of dead babies, dead fetuses, um, a section of Pfizer documents with over 80% miscarriage rate, uh, spontaneous abortion rate, um, and now we know the mechanism. So the people who silenced me have blood on their hands because they silenced a conversation that would have saved millions of women uh, and babies from catastrophic outcomes. And the last thing I'll say is there's now a 40% rise in deaths in childbirth. And that is because the placentas of women are now compromised by the lipid nanoparticles. And so they're dying in childbirth from things like septicemia and hemorrhages. So, you know, I don't think you should be asking me if I'm an anti-vaxxer. You should be asking Twitter and the White House why they risked women's health and babies' health in a way uh, so as to murder them and sterilize women. 
If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Naomi Wolf. She's the author of many books, including the new book, The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and the War Against the Human. If you want to learn more about the uh, Pfizer documents situation that uh, Dr. Wolf just alluded to, you can go to dailyclout.io. There's a lot of interesting stuff on on there, not only about the Pfizer situation, but a variety of other uh, subjects that were just uh, touching the surface on here. Uh, Naomi, one of the things that I think people struggle with, including myself, is where to find accurate information. Now, uh, um, you go to, for instance, the CDC website, and I know uh, a lot of our listeners may not have the highest opinion of the CDC, but uh, a lot of, for many years, it was considered a pretty reputable public health authority by a lot of Americans. And they specifically go out of their way to claim that the COVID-19 vaccines are safe for people that are, are pregnant, that are breastfeeding, that are trying to get pregnant. And if uh, the documents that you cite on your website indicate that that's not the case, how are Americans supposed to know where to go for accurate information? If the CDC is saying one thing, if the NIH is saying another, if the manufacturers of these drugs are saying another, if the uh, government authorities like Dr. Fauci and even presidents are saying another, where do people know in terms of what authorities uh, are credible? Well, you know, people need to think for themselves. And we certainly know by now that governments often lie to us. And we know that giant corporations often lie to us. And the pharmaceutical industry has a long and robust history of lying to people um, and saying that things are safe and effective when they aren't, you know, ranging from thalidomide to silicone breast implants to, um, you know, vaginal mesh. You know, I could go on and on. Um, But it's kind of a theoretical question to me because the 70 reports that my team of 3,500 doctors and scientists have put together link to the internal Pfizer documents released under court order. So, and they're, the links are right there. So that's, you know, in journalism, that's the gold standard, right? If it's a primary source, doc, um, it's, it's not anyone's opinion. You can see it for yourself. Uh, and it's it's true. Um, so uh, I guess people have to be discerning. And uh, unfortunately, legacy media has accepted millions of dollars from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and later from the CARES Act to, uh, quote, overcome vaccine hesitancy, unquote. So you're not going to get accurate reporting from CNN or NPR or MSNBC. They took the money. Um, but there are independent sites out there, uh, many of them on Substack, which is a wonderful platform. I hope it endures. Um, and there you just have to be a critical thinker and check the links, you know, and ideally they're linking to, again, primary source documents, as we do at Daily Cloud. I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you did, but last weekend the Wall Street Journal had uh, a pretty interesting uh, commentary uh, going into the uh, vaccine side effects and how these have been neglected by a lot of public officials. And that's not really the kind of thing that we've seen in the, the Wall Street Journal over the course of the last three years. Do you think this is 
a representative of a sea change that we're starting to see in media that now subjects like exploring the side effects of the vaccine may no longer be verboten in mainstream news outlets like the journal? I mean, you know, maybe. I mean, it's certainly an important signal. The Wall Street Journal ran that piece. But again, I I think we need to snap out of our hypnosis, right? We we can't let ourselves be grateful that, you know, there may be some sea change uh, by people over whom we have no control. We have to recognize that um, these news outlets should have been running this story two and a half years ago. And they should have been asking the hard questions as I was, and I lost everything, you know, professionally for being a journalist, for asking the kinds of questions I've been celebrated for asking for 35 years about women's health and well-being. Um, You know, the Wall Street Journal, I think the Wall Street Journal has blood on its hands, you know, and so does the New York Times. I mean, I remember, you know, every legacy news outlet that took the money and didn't do any reporting on these injections that was real reporting, they now have blood on their hands. I will never forget Apoorva Mondavili, who was the um, COVID reporter at the New York Times, um, and she would respond to me on Twitter, and she started to say, you know, vaccines are safe and effective for pregnant women. And I had been following this very carefully, and I was like, you know, Apoorva, where? Where are those data sets? Where is that study? And she couldn't tell me. Um, And she... You know, the New York Times also had a giant map on its front page, which most of you will remember. There were similar maps in many news outlets uh, that purported to show, you know, dark red sections of the country where the virus was out of control. And then nice, cool green sections where people were, you know, obediently taking their mRNA vaccines. And I asked her, where are the data sets that underlie this um, COVID chart? And she couldn't answer that either. And I, you know, my company uses government data in exactly the same way. Um, we, we reveal government databases in, a, you know, a user-friendly way. So it's the exact same business. And if you can't see the data sets, there's literally no way to know if that map is representing anything real. So here's a reporter telling women to get injected without any evidence that it's safe or effective, um, not asking any questions of the manufacturer or of the government about uh, whether, in fact, it's safe and effective for pregnant women. There was, at that point, zero study, real study, showing that it was safe and effective for pregnant women. And at the same time, you know, the paper of record was showing a fake map where there there was no access to the underlying data sets. So it's... um, It's... How can I put it? I think we have to stop being so grateful for Mm. little drips of truth and little drips of real journalism and instead be furious um, and and take legal action against all of these institutions that colluded in telling us lies in a way that killed and injured people. I mean, you should see my inbox. You know, people's healthy 22-year-old sons with heart transplants. Uh, People's healthy, you know, sons and daughters having 
knee surgery or shoulder replacement, joint pain is the number one um, side effect in the Pfizer documents. Uh, People crippled with muscle pain. Myalgia is the number two side effect. Um, People constantly getting COVID, if they're vaccinated, COVID is the number three side effect. In fact, Pfizer knew in November of 2020 that the vaccines did not did not work to stop COVID. Um, Their language is vaccine failure. People telling me that, you know, about their daughters or daughter-in-law's miscarriages and late spontaneous abortions or babies born with uh, malformations, uh, mutations. Um, All of this is in the Pfizer documents. Uh, Rochelle Walensky uh, resigned five days after we published our Report 69, which showed that Pfizer knew that more than 50% of the moms and babies in their adverse event list had serious adverse events, including fetal fatalities. And Pfizer's language is due Mm. to transplacental exposure to the vaccine. So they know there's something the vaccine that kills babies in utero. And also Pfizer knew that breast milk was being poisoned by mRNA and babies in the study uh, 69. And anyone can see this chart for themselves. It's pinned on daily clout. you know, are, are ingesting polyethylene glycol, which is a petroleum byproduct in their mother's milk. So this is what was kept from us. These are the secrets that were kept from. So these, you know, every legacy news outlet that did not ask what the evidence was that it was safe to breastfeed or what the evidence was that it was safe for pregnant women to take this or, you know, why did the, the FDA wait four months before telling parents about the elevated risk of myocarditis or any of the questions that they didn't ask, they too are complicit in what is a, a clearly now a mass murder event. The um, w- One of the things, just the media outlet that owns the uh, – Wall Street Journal also is the parent outlet of the Fox News Channel. They right. were the home of uh, the most watched person in cable news on prime time, Tucker Carlson. After he was fired, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. had tweeted that Fox fires Tucker Carlson five days after he crosses the red line by acknowledging that the TV networks pushed a deadly and ineffective vaccine to please their pharma advertisers. And then he goes on, but he basically draws the parallel between the coverage that Tucker Carlson was doing on Big Pharma and the vaccine issue and the fact that he's no longer employed by Fox News. Do you share that cynicism on, um, well, I don't know if, if cynicism is the right word, but do you share that hunch that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. expressed there that maybe Tucker's commentary on the pharmaceutical industry might have played a role in him being fired? Interesting. Well, I know that Project Veritas has just broken a story in which someone with an undercover camera was caught talking about what the real cause of Mr. Carlson's firing was. I haven't seen it yet, but the headline suggested it was linked to Dominion, the Dominion voting settlement. I personally think um, that the reason is is more likely to do with the January 6th footage that uh, Mr. Carlson released and that he kind of threatened or promised to release a second tranche of, um, that footage changed everything. And, uh, and I, do, I, I do remember uh, Senator Schumer, my senator, um, threatening uh, Fox News and saying that was a mistake, that was a mistake. And I know politicians at that level, and a threat like that um, is real, and there's some substance in it that we don't know about.
you got to come back because I have a lot of other questions for you and we're, we're just about out of time. Um, I hope everybody checks out the book. Uh, Naomi Wolf's new book is uh, definitely going to be creating a lot of conversations, very thought provoking. It's called the bodies of others. You can also check out the website dailyclout.io. I'll just end with what do you think the future of media is? And are you optimistic in light of the fact that Elon Musk, who seems to have a very different approach to the people that banned you when they were running Twitter, he's now running Twitter, and you have more and more people migrating towards independent outlets like Substack and similar services. Are you hopeful about the next generation of media? Um, Well, we're really kind of at a crossroads, and it can be either very good or very bad. In this country, it is true that uh, independent media is booming and um, legacy media is is collapsing, and that is good. Um, But in countries like Australia, Canada, Britain, the media media lockdown is is pretty complete. And, you know, algorithms can free you or they can stifle uh, conversation. Also, in the World Economic Forum, which is a big driver of all of this tyranny has made it clear that they're going to focus on more and more and more censorship. And, you know, I personally have been targeted in the last few days by Oscom, Britain's um, media watchdog. So uh, even while things are maybe opening up here, um, the press is being, you know, chilled and intimidated in countries like Britain. So it's really up to us. Um, you know, we have to take our country back and Western Europe has to take its democracies back. And, you know, around the world, people have to throw off these shackles. Uh, but it's not going to happen without um, all of us being much braver than we've been and um, much more resistant. Naomi Wolf, thank you so much for the time this morning. I hope we can do this again soon. I would love that. Thank you so much. Take thank care. you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Midnight.